Synchronicity will take you along. And here's your host, Travis William Skink Mateer. Okay, welcome to episode seven of Zoomcron. The conversation I will be sharing with you today with Tim Adams. Um, you know, should be actually a familiar sounding one to anyone that listened to Tim and I talking week after week on the original version of this podcast called Zoom Town. So that, that podcast was a lot more focused on local politics. And, and last week, uh, which would be Tuesday, November 2nd, was the municipal elections. And so um, after those elections concluded, uh, we are now in a sort of transitionary phase. And so I'm going to be throwing out the conversation that Tim and I had uh, recorded today, which is November 9th, 2021. I'll be putting it out on the Zoomcron platform feed. Um, I think it's a really interesting conversation that we had, um, in part because um, some of the, the politics surrounding uh, school board policies, um, things to do with mask mandates, um, rhetoric versus lawful action taken by a state representative, that kind of stuff. Uh, we have a lot of interesting content that we get into in the next uh, hour or so. So please tune in, listen until the end uh, with my conversation with my co-host of Zoomtown, Tim Adams. Thank you so much. Okay, we are recording another episode um, of Zoomtown. It won't just be Zoomtown though, Tim, because I think this is going to go on the Zoomcron Mothership podcast. Um, that's short for Zoomtown Chronicles. Oh. So I think it'll be named Talking with Tim Adams, because that's what we've been doing. Um, well, that's what that's what I've been doing with you, week after week after week. But the elections were last week. We had our, our election special. Uh, Roy McKenzie of Mon- Mon- Missoula County Tyranny blah, was nice enough to to come in and, and talk with us. Um, so a three way conversation was a lot of fun, and we're going to continue talking. Um, and the reason I'm going to um, put put I think this conversation on this on the sort of bigger blog that I'm trying to promote um, is because there's a lot of conversations that are happening, but one of the things that's going to really start coming into focus now here locally, and that's a big topic of conversation nationally, is school boards and what people are doing um, locally to potentially get individuals who, who think like them or, um, or who are more in line with things like parental rights, quote-unquote. So I'm providing air quotes because we're going to talk about what parental rights means to others um, in local media and what it means to me. Um, and, and Tim, it's going to mean a, a good conversation, I think. Sure. Um, and it's one that I need feedback on because in this, in this developing situation, um, you know, I, I was present at Cross Point Church on Monday, November 1st, 2021, um, at, that, uh, at that meeting where a public official was invited by a church. Um, it wasn't sort of intended as a, as a public event, but it was open to people that wanted to be there. Um, and so I was there, Elsie Arnson, our, our superintendent of public instruction, was invited to be there. And, so, and there were other people that spoke. 
Um, so like Amy, Amy Livesay was one person, Jill Tabor, uh, two people that I introduced myself to after the event. And so, it, you know, I was there. And so I actually know what happened. Um, I was there throughout the entire event. I asked questions of Elsie Arnson as a parent of target range kids. And of course, something that happened, um, Quentin Rhodes, a lawyer who is representing parents like me, um, who have provided you know funding for challenging the mask mandate in the courts um he made a a quip in in order to sort of cut the tension after mike gill asked him uh, a question so quentin was back in the audience he was actually sitting one person away from me and so he made his comment that's gotten all the media attention obviously um and and the the situation that i wrote about um today really does stem from other things that happened that have not made it into the headlines, they have not made it into the papers or any other local media, other than myself now saying that um, on last Wednesday, I filed a police report against uh, state rep Danny Tenenbaum, state rep for House District 95. Um, he went into that meeting on Monday, November 1st. Uh, there was signage, multiple signs, um, saying not to record that event he did record a portion um i didn't look at what he posted on twitter but he recorded um and he put and he put it on his twitter account so um i i'm not a lawyer myself um i'm a parent who feels that my uh my rights were violated um and so uh i did file a police report that's 2021-45445 for anyone in media that wants to follow up on it um and I am available for interviews because apparently um, <laughs> that will never happen. Apparently, well, no. Uh, apparently, and I, I try to communicate this to the city attorney's office today when I called to get an update mm -hmm. um, to see if it had been, you know, given to a city attorney. And according to what they told me, it's under review. Um, but expressing just a, a slight bit of frustration led to uh, the the person on the phone saying that I was being combative. And I've, you know, I've worked within this system. I worked at the Poverty Law Center for seven years. I worked pretty closely within this criminal justice system with, you know, chronic offender clients. And, and so that, that's a term that's being used by a bureaucrat that's in, that has an intended impact, right? So now, now that's laying the foundation for if they have to ban me from city property or something, you know, like they did to Brandon Bryant, the veteran that made uh, city council members feel unsafe and they try to prosecute on felony charges. Um, so, so they're laying sort of a little foundation if I'm being combative, right? You know, oh, I'm being combative. It's like, well, who told you that? Was it the person taking I didn't the get response? The, I didn't get the name of the person that answered the phone. And you know, the communications person, well, whoever answers the phone, it's, it's not their responsibility to, to provide any kind of opinions. Um, they, they, they probably deal with a lot of BS. Um, they probably deal with a lot of upset, angry people. It's the city attorney's office. People are not calling the city attorney's office because they're having a good day. Um, because things are going okay in their lives. That's not why people communicate with the city attorney's office. It's usually because something happened. Um, and the time frame it takes for them to review the case, you know, I am being depicted right now, okay, by people like um, the Montana or by institutions like the Montana Human Rights Network that was quoted. So Travis McAdam was quoted um, in a piece by the Daily Montanan. And basically, you know, parents like me that are standing up for quote unquote parental rights, we're just being seduced by a white supremacist movement, right? So um, any kind of expression that I'm making in terms of like, yeah, I'm a parent of three kids. 
I do have rights, um, legal rights in that role. And now just, just basically asserting that um, in the minds of people that are, are paying attention to the Montana Human Rights Network. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so I'm white supremacist, right? I'm being lured by, by this movement. Um, it's just, it's, it's very shadowy. It's very shadowy and seductive. You know, oh, Travis is just walking into the white supremacist trap. He's going to Cross Point Church and, and state rep Danny Tenenbaum is just trying to protect me. He's just trying to protect me, Tim. He's looking out for my, he's looking out for me, right? Maybe not you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm frustrated. You can tell. I'm a little worked up, a little upset. Um, I think I kind of have a right to be upset. Um, there's also, and, and I'll, I got some feedback from my wife who listened to our last episode and said I should take pauses more and let other people talk more. But, but just to kind of launch into what I know you're going to be talking, talking about also, part of the conversation that's happening around, you know, what rights are for parents um, when it comes to masks and when it comes to vaccines, there is a clinic happening um, at my school, at my kid's school on Thursday. And there's a, <clears throat> I think, a question of whether or not some people want to have a presence in just opposition to the fact that's happening. Um, and my perspective is that's probably not a smart thing to do because any kind of presence people people make has the potential of being interpreted by the school or by other parents and kids as being threatening. Um, it could make them scared. And then that's the victim card they get to play. And, and that that they exist in this victimology realm so much easier and better than um, than others, you know, my, maybe I'm trying to play the victim card too. You know, actually I have a history of political retaliation anyways, experiencing that. So I'm going to stop talking and you can, um, take whatever part of that long winded sort of introduction to our conversation today. You know, there's something that we never really talk about on the right. And I think it's something that I know of, I have experienced in a very personal way. Um, we, as conservative people or people maybe just more of common sense these days or even just white males uh we're going about 20 years now of being the bad guys in society and it's like i'm a human being with the same emotions brains thought you know as a black person as a woman etc so how is it i'm somehow like the one demonized this is something that was weird because growing up in the 90s uh being gay was like what was demonized it was not cool you know for most of the 90s it was just sort of when gay rights was ramping up but i still wasn't accepted to the degree it is today um and so then i go and be like probably the early 2000s like 2001 2002 i, I switched i became more of a conservative person like a libertarian person and you know there's seven different late night TV shows on right now, and somehow every single one is pushing left wing talking points. You know, you look at YouTube and I get shown stuff that's quote unquote news and it's MSNBC showing me, oh, these people are terrorists. These people in rural areas just want to hurt people. They're white supremacists. They're secret militia members. Uh, you know, when I went to MSU the first time uh, from 2002 to 2006, I, you know, I'm very much into journalism. That's something I care about. It's an essential function of our democracy. Every single year I tried to work at the student newspaper at MSU, I was either fired or, or uh, like censored. And I still came back the next year, every single year. Well, when I came back in 2011, it was different, okay? It wasn't, you have your opinion on this side, you have your other opinion on this side, and everyone should be heard. It's, well, this is the right opinion on the left, and on the right, it's actually just not, it's so offensive to even have right-wing beliefs or, or even have these common-sense beliefs that they aren't allowed. In fact, allowing them to be in the dialogue is a form of violence. 
And you know, I was basically hunted down at MSU by, it wasn't even by other students, it was administrators and grad students there wow. for the crime of, of writing a not even political article about rape. Uh, basically, I put out there at that time, I think it was 2016, because it was like two months before the election, uh, there had been a very major murder in Montana uh, or in Bozeman. And it was a woman who left her husband and two sons to go like sleep around. She wanted to go hang out at the bars and she am dating this bouncer. Uh, I think it was at the cat's paw and this bouncer had a criminal record. He was not allowed to have a firearm, but he managed to steal one from a roommate. Cause you know, you gotta jail, you're poor. You gotta go get your roommates. Uh, and, and came and shot this woman. Uh, and, and the police there were so incompetent. They couldn't even find the guy. Uh, he ended up sitting in the parking lot out in front of the police station waiting for them. And wow. then one cop just walking to his car was like, hey, can I help you with something? He's like, yeah, I just killed this woman. I'd like to turn myself in. Um, and in response to that, there was a very big sort of uproar about we need to stop sexism. We need to stop violence against women. You know, don't tell sexist jokes. Don't say women should be cooks or in the kitchen or, you know. It really seemed to me was a very pointed murder of a woman, which happens very commonly. Women, you know, in domestic violence situations are some of the most common murder victims. Um, you know, men, it's suicide. Women, it's usually romantic partners. Yeah. And so I wrote about this and I said, instead of telling people not to tell jokes or there was these women, I think, in Helena that wanted to stop gun violence. So they went on the Capitol steps and did a dance that they all coordinated together. And I was like why don't you tell women that maybe we should read the signs of predators? They're actually, at this point, we have a pretty good psychological profile of who a fucking predator is and the situations you put them in that are going to make them respond violently. And maybe just not be around those people or teach them that's not the kind of guy you could date, even though it seems hot or whatever. Uh, we could do firearm safety training. We could make sure, you know, look at, there's a lot of countries in the world where like Switzerland or Scandinavia where women are constricted into the same military service of a couple years that the men are. And, you know, it's not even considered sexist to do so. It's just everyone in our society for basic protection should learn how to use a gun. And that's sort of what I thought most people in Montana were like. For writing that opinion, I was not allowed to write ever again. Uh, wow. I was told by my editor that mostly the women's studies uh, and the women's center, all these women, uh, one of them who was the editor of the paper, who's her advisor was the head of the women's studies department. And the reason I say that is if you're going to go into journalism, you know, it, it used to be a very explicit ethical thing in journalism. You're not here to advocate for things. You're here to be a fly on the wall, see things as you describe them and, and describe them to other people for their information. You don't leave out certain things or add it or frame it in a certain way to make them believe what's going on. Those things were considered just completely unethical and not even be in the business. Uh, so the, the fact that a person is a really, really strong advocate politically, first of all, should in some ways disqualify you from being a journalist. But yet that seems to be all that goes into journalism these days. And it's been so shaped that it's not even considered unethical. It's considered you know, unethical to even allow the conservative opinion to be seen in the news. Well, let, let me let me provide some some contrast and kind of respond a bit to that. Um, those are good points. And that's. <laughs> you can't underestimate the feeling of actually going through um, being censored and deplatformed. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very disempowering feeling. Um, and you know, I, I was thinking in terms of policing language, okay, we're putting energy into this policing of language. Um, so Quentin Rhodes made a quip about shooting, right? Um, and I wrote something that said, Hey, an actual shooting happened on August 29th, two sheriff deputies for the, the, the Missoula County Sheriff's department shot and killed Johnny Lee Perry. 
those names haven't been released. And it, it was kind of interesting, um, that contrast, someone on, on Twitter uh, mentioned that um, maybe I should probably amend my post to dude um, because they mentioned the Missoulian did report on this on September 3rd. But I explained that, you know, the, the media pressure to try and get actual names. We're, we're, we're sitting here in November now, uh, November 9th. Uh, is that what the date is today? Yeah, yeah. November 9th. Um, and still, I mean, if, if anyone wanted to know some basic information about what happened on August 29th, the, the names of the deputies is being withheld for some reason. And, and local media can't seem to provide the leverage to get that kind of information out. Yet there's this immediate focus on, on two words stupidly used by a, by a lawyer who has since apologized. So Quentin Rhodes has apologized for that joke, right? Um, it, was a, it was not a very smart joke. I didn't laugh. Um, Quentin was, you know, again, one person away from me was. and I was too upset because yeah. I was asking questions of Elsie Arnston about how a school board member and United Way staff member can also direct polit political activity through Facebook because that seems like a conflict of interest. So, well, and, and the thing was, it was two guys who probably have a closer relationship outside of that room. They probably work together. You know, maybe they even it's it's a joke on wordplay. It's, it's not that all common. I just don't understand how we've gotten to this place where. You know, a reasonable person can't sit there and be like, you know, there's some context to this. What setting was it? What were they talking about? Was something about guns or firearms or the word fire being used, you know, in, in that context? As far as our language and our culture goes, the, the idea that we need to take everything in the worst context, attributing the worst motivations to everyone on one side and the most beneficial, beneficial and happy and unicorn and rainbows on the other side, it's just nuts. Let me... How much more you want to go down this? I'm the thing about because you talk about Twitter and this is the thing. I'm I'm sitting here, you know. I, I restarted my Twitter feed. I don't know a couple months ago, uh, which I haven't been on for years, and I'm just getting to this point of like I I can't even will myself to even look at it because it's my mind is curious and I want to learn things and I want to sort of be informed about the world. But there's like 90% of the shit you just see on here is take some little granule of truth and spin it the most extreme way. And I hate to say it, but it's just as common on the right. And it, this whole let's go Brandon, we're having a let's go Brandon rally. Really? The whole, uh, well, I, is this where the right is at? Is this fuck everybody? Like, fuck. Uh, I mean, hey, if the public at large is at that point where, where Biden and Kamala can't even make 30 percent approval rating, maybe I'm the one, you know, talking tales at school here. But it just like this level of dialogue, this level of hysteria where we attribute such bad motivation. Does anyone actually think Quentin Rhodes was going to go shoot the superintendent of schools? Do, does anyone think that is a well, reasonable you know, thing that was actually going to happen? Everyone on Twitter seems to think so. They want him disbarred. They want him brought up before the court. They want to, you know, put in handcuffs. Did you have you now or have you ever talked well, you, about, you know, and, and, and along those lines, when I when I contacted the Office of Disciplinary Counsel, um, they, they weren't able to confirm if Danny Tenenbaum is actually part of the Montana State Bar. I, I misspelled the name. And so it was I, I used two ends instead of one. Um, and that might be the case, but, um, we, you know, let, let's shift away from that because, um, I certainly, you know, want to, to appear reasonable in, in the topic matter that I'm able to engage in since, um, earlier today, I was already a little too frustrated and triggered myself. Um, you mentioned Virginia last week and one of the things that, that people are missing, right. In this really incredibly reductionist, like idiotic sense that these like white suburban moms in Loudoun County, um, were just racist. One of the, the one of the people saying uh, there's something going on here is Matt Taibbi, and he had something up on his Substack 
the red pilling of Loudon uh, or Loudon Loudoun County, Virginia. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just read a little bit of, of this. And then how do you say uh, Terry's last name? McAuliffe. Is it McAuliffe? Okay, yeah, yeah. McAuliffe. All right. Um, okay, the drama that played out, and again, this is Matt Taibbi from his Substack. The drama that played out in upscale Loudoun County, Virginia, over the last year or so and cost Democratic candidate Terry McAuliffe the governorship last night is a book waiting to be written. In fact, if companies like HBO or Netflix have any sense, it will soon be a movie as well because almost every hot-button issue in American national politics was rolled up somewhere in this sprawling, preposterous, rage-filled suburban drama. I have a longer piece on this coming and have to return to the area at least once to follow up so I can't get into it, into it in depth yet. But as I scan the news from an Amtrak seat on the way back north after watching last night's shocking come from a head loss by McAuliffe, a few things are already clear. McAuliffe's collapse and the corresponding underdog win by private equity titan Glenn Youngkin is already being caricatured nationally using the language of 1980s politics. We're meant to understand that the Loudoun County story, which is too complex to summarize easily, but involves furious disputes between local parents and the school board over a variety of issues, including a pair of sexual assaults, was cooked up by Republicans as a cynical dog whistle campaign. Quote, the GOP ran a masterclass on race-based identity politics, wrote CNN's Bakari Sellers. Quote, the return of the Lee Atwater playbook, pretty grim, is how former Harry Reid chief of staff Adam Gentleson put it. Hats off to the depraved cynicism and villainy and race baiting. It worked in Virginia, seethe. Wahajit Ali of the Daily Beast, Van Jones last night called Yunkin the Delta variant of Trumpism. Oh, that is hilarious. I love that. Delta variant of Trumpism. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read just a little bit more. Yeah, go ahead. Just as McAuliffe has had no message apart from trying to tie Yunkin to Trump, these commentators seem helpless to do anything but fall back on a cookie-cutter formula for responding to Republican electoral victories in the Trump era. This drive-by commentary misses the weedsy, multi-layered nature of the Loudoun County mess. Some of the parents I interviewed last night, for instance, didn't agree with Tanner Cross, the Christian gym teacher who spoke out at a school board meeting this past May, saying his religion would prevent him from complying with a proposed transgender policy requiring the use of preferred pronouns. Quote, I'm a teacher, but I serve God first, he said. However, some, some were still furious that Cross was suspended after his speech, essentially for violating a rule not yet put in place. I met people who didn't care about, quote, critical race theory, if they even knew what it was, but were still offended by the existence of a closed Facebook group. Sound familiar? The anti-racist parents of Loudoun County that contains six school board members and apparently compiled a list of parents deemed insufficiently supportive of racial equity efforts. Still others were troubled by a controversy involving the process by which an outside consultancy called the Equity Collaborative came to be hired at a cost of roughly $500,000 to conduct an equity assessment based on a report of racial insensitivity at one school. That almost sounds like what they do with tax increment financing, throwing money at all these reports and studies and, you know, creating committees. And, and so, I mean, I see so much of some of the Missoula dynamics that are that are seething under the surface in a lot of ways happening here. Um, and it was really interesting to read Matt Taibbi put put some very specific examples to it, having, you know, actually gone there and, you know, like spoken to people directly. Good. A good way of getting information, by the way, going and talking to people directly. Yeah, because. Weird. It's so strange that the left currently uh, seems to be so willingly and excitedly out of touch with regular people. 
Um, I guess the new, you know, 20 years ago, I think this was a really big issue that we had in Montana, and it's why Democrats have been successful here for a long time, is they always painted the right as wacko right, as constitutionalist, gun-toting, militia, et cetera, et cetera. And so they were like, we'll probably do mostly Republican things, but we'll be, like, nice about it. Right. Like, let's say you get wasn't that the Clinton? Expansion. Wasn't that the Clinton, you know, third-way 90s sellout of the Democratic Party? Basically, we'll just continue. We'll take all the corporate money. I mean, it's interesting that Youngkin was connected to the Carlisle Group. McAuliffe couldn't really bring that up in the campaign because he's also invested in funds tied to the Carlisle Group. And then, lo and behold, we also have Missoula that had a water company that was owned by the Carlisle Group. Um, our mayor, probably drunk at the time because he was a alcoholic, active in his abuse of alcohol, you know, doing that handshake with the Carlisle representative, being like, oh, we get a chance to buy the water company, right? When you go get it, oh, we can buy it, right? And they're like, yeah, sure, Mayor. You want a fourth martini? He's like, oh, I love Big Sky Country. Yeah. You know, that's my dramatic imagining of what happened in that in that um, lunch boozy meeting. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting, those kind of connections. And it's, it's also frustrating because um, a person like me, who was a progressive blogger for many years, you know, now is is very much in this new political world where the people that are helping me stand up for for my rights, you know, because um, my 13 year old, my 11 year old, my five year old, they're not going to get vaccinated. Uh, I know my wife didn't want me to give specific ages to them, but I feel very uh targeted um having that that age range being the age range in which um you know experimental products are 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 being pushed heavily and that um even fucking big bird apparently is 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 involved would you like to hear a poem tim sure okay let's read a poem because one of the things that i bring to this new uh, political realm in which i find myself is a sort of punk rock poetic style and, and that's one thing in terms of raising up some of the cultural competency of um, some groups that may, may not, um, you know, rock out to, to poems like, like I did back in the humanitarian uh, the, or the days that the university had, you know, a belief in the humanities. Um, but I, I still have that skill set that's been developed at the University of Montana and by me continuing to like write poems and then reading to my children, um, since that's the thing that I, I do as a dad, reading my kids. Um, so here's a poem. All right. I don't think I've titled it yet. It's pretty much, I, I titled it From Sesame Street to Astro World. All right. Here you go. Athletes drop. It's okay. Dum-dums do not correlate. Such a big word for your mouth. Hello, big bird. Elmo's down. Servicing Gupta for the day. Stab Rosita to keep her safe. If this sounds like psycho talk, you hate abuela and puppy dogs. Maybe you should see a show, traverse the skull to go astro. See the rapper, feel the rush. You can't escape sacrificial crush. I wish I could laugh like Elmo. I, you no, know, I, I wish that poem was funny, but that poem is not funny. I, um, I document what's going on in poems. Uh, that's kind of back in the oral tradition days. They would, you know, try and document narrative through using rhyme schemes to help kind of make it easier to, to memorize and recite orally. And so I, I look at one of my duties as a poet to archive the madness of what's happening right now. Um, and the fact that, that Big Bird, you know, um, and, and Rosita is, is getting jabbed, it's, it's pretty fucking insidious, you know. Can I play something for you? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So we were aware when we were on air last week with Rory, it was the uh, the big story was the Virginia election, whether McAuliffe was going to pull it out or whether Glenn Youngkin would come from behind. 
Um, everyone's calling Glenn Youngkin the new kind of Republican because he just talks about almost nothing but just lets the left look crazy. And I've said that's what Gene Forte and Danes have been doing for years, really. Really? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, look, I've been on the ground conservative for a long time now, and our constant uh, call is that we have no actual like family values conservatives in the Republican Party much anymore. It's all these middle-of-the-road business Republicans. Uh which in some ways make them different to hard to extinguish from uh, the Democrats. Well, and they but like tax increment financing a lot of times. They do. Yeah, they, they're more gung-ho on stuff like abortion and gun rights uh, than I personally am. But okay. So the other thing that was happening was there was an election in New Jersey. And oh. the governor of New Jersey almost lost. Um, I think they found a big stack of ballots in the middle of the night to help sure make sure she didn't lose, but what, 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 what letter does she have by her name? So I, I know to be appropriately enraged or supportive. Okay, but lesser news, a New Jersey truck driver who spent a grand total of $150 on his campaign decided to run against the Senate president because he had a personal gripe about, I think it was truckers getting the vaccine. Um, and really? he won. He won. He this guy actually the, no the uh, Democrat raised 1.5 million. Did not even spend a quarter of it because he was so sure that he was going to win. He just kept a million dollars in his campaign account, but then he lost. So wow. Uh, and of course, I don't know if you know many truck drivers. I was a truck driver for a couple years, but this guy was politically involved and had a Twitter account. And surprise, surprise, he had some po problematic things. Uh, in his before, past. Before you get to that, um, I have some recent experience with, with truckers. Um, and the only recent experience is that I'm watching Riverdale. And <laughs> Riverdale, um, season five, I, I, I do want to get into the guilty pleasure that is Riverdale because I think it relates. We but should do a Friday one. <laughs> we should. We should. I'm, I'm on season two of that show. Okay, I want to play just this. Um, oh, hold on. I have my uh, line in muted. Well, we shouldn't. If you're on season two, I don't want to give you spoilers. Wow. So. Um, I'm only going back because I heard how crazy it was. The truck driver who shocked people in New Jersey when he beat the state's Senate president in Tuesday's election is suddenly facing calls to resign. The GOP newcomer Ed Durr is apologizing for posting anti-Islamic and transphobic content on his social media accounts. Our local NBC station in Philly dug up some of Durr's old posts. In one, he called the prophet Muhammad a pedophile and said Muslims are fools. In another post, he called a trans person an offensive term, shim, combining both she and him. It okay, now, I will say these tweets in context make a little more sense. So the first one, he says, uh, Muhammad was a pedophile. Islam is a false religion. Only fools will follow Muslim teachings. It is a culture of hate. Let me read the second one here. In another post, he called a trans... Of course, the she slash him shim wants no prisons. Shim should be in one. Hashtag traitor. I don't really know what that was referring to. Um, but but, but <laughs> cancel. It doesn't matter. Cancel. End him. Stop him. Um, conclude his ability to uh, speak, um, breathe, think, walk, talk, uh, and other things that I might not be thinking of. I just... Do you understand maybe this guy appeared more like a regular guy? This is where I think the, the the left doesn't get why Trump was such a popular figure. No one was electing Trump, at least I don't think so, uh, because they wanted the most crass, vulgar, like, stupid guy up there. I mean, there's plenty of shit he did that was just completely stupid. Uh, 
But because if you're an actual working person who's worked, you know, other than a university or a really high level of an office or outside of a prep school, you meet people of all different personalities. You get, oh, this person's really quiet. This person's really bombastic. This person's a braggart. This person, you know, you see a wide swath of people to actually get enough life experience to put that in context. And it's like all these things where they take one little word out of a tweet or this little gotcha thing and they just construct a narrative out of it. It's, it's almost... I don't know how to live in this world where so much of what I'm supposed to believe is completely made up. I have to accept. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot lately when it comes to the trans issue, because I think the way that things work out long term, and I think the way that gay rights worked out is why we're seeing some of the problems now. If you go back and look at it, you know, when we voted, I think it was 2004 in Montana, we made a constitutional amendment that said gay marriage would not be allowed here, okay? And we never went back on that until the Supreme Court ruled against it in 2015. we only got gay marriage. California couldn't even pass gay marriage. Do you remember 2008? I think it was Prop 15. It was on the ballot right, that right. they were going to put gay marriage on. Mm-hmm. And do you know why that lost? Hmm. Because the first black president was about to be elected. And people don't seem to realize about black and Hispanic communities. They tend to be more conservative than white liberals. Okay, So if you're going to make every black person for the first time in their life go out and vote for the first black president, at the same time you're going to ask them to vote for or against gay marriage, they're more socially conservative. You end up taking away the rights of gay marriage for people so you could get Obama the electoral votes he was going to be guaranteed, yeah, guaranteed yeah. anyways. Yep. Uh, it's, okay, so the reason that that's important is because now when you have this trans issue, they're tackling it in the exact same way that they tackle gay rights. Gay people just exist. They're just like you and me. They just happen to be attracted to other people. We wouldn't want them to not have fulfilling lives, so they should be able to get the same civil rights of marriage as straight people. Therefore, we should have gay marriage, okay? So then we take that argument to the trans community, and that's what the trans community is trying to do is rise. Like, we're just regular people. Uh, we just happen to identify, you know, with a different gender than that we are assigned at birth. And therefore, we should get all the same sort of rights. And, and it, somehow you take that to, like, a place of gender doesn't exist for men and women to to tell, first of all, people when 99% of people who are ever going to be born in the history of human beings, they're not going to have an incongruency between what they are born as their sex and what they end up presenting in their life as their gender. Okay. I don't know how to like adequately express the fact that this idea of gay rights and tied into trans rights, it was accepted by fiat. It was not something that people voted on. It was handed down by the Supreme Court. And I'm fine with that, you know, that we have that system of rights. But I think when you go to trying to get people to accept things on the ground, when you have tell people you have to accept this because a court and a judge said so versus coming to them and trying to convince them and trying to get them on your side, uh, I think it leaves a very different impression psychologically and mentally on the population because we really feel in almost every part of our life that this small minority of people, whether it be the rich or the connected or the elites or the people who are woke, they're just on high allowing this uh, new moral framework to fall down like manna and rain from the sky on the poor unwashed and just let us soak up. You know, I really was so transphobic until I just danced with a rainbow on and now I just want to make out with a trans. Like, it's so, I don't understand their thinking. It's all by fiat and like control of the schools and control of the media. It's all done by bullying and ostracization of like, and if you're not affected by that, if you're not scared of it, if you don't have anything to lose from it, then you're just sitting here like, this is stupid. 
Why are well, people so, falling for Someone this? that is trying to understand the thinking um, continues to be Michael Schellenberger. And, and so um, this, this great quote that I found from one of his, his recent pieces, um, I, w- I will read really quickly because one of the things that, that has to be acknowledged that won't be, unfortunately, um, is that this, this is a new religion. The wokest sort of mentality is a new religion. And so they are, they are truly, um, for our own good you know, in their minds, trying to impose a sort of a dogmatic religious thought upon others, right? And so um, here's a quote from Schellenberger. Unlike traditional religion, woke victimology seeks not not universal morality and laws, but rather one aimed at dismantling, quote, the system. It is for this reason that progressives are narrowly concerned with African-Americans killed by the police rather than with the 30 times more African-Americans killed by civilians. And the narrow concern among progressives for victims of, quote, the system is why progressives in San Francisco are allowing hundreds of people to die every year from drug overdose deaths, since the alternative requires working with the system. Progressive activists on CRT, that's critical race theory, uh, criminal justice and climate change don't believe, in my experience, that they are adherents to a new religion, but rather that they are more compassionate and more moral than those who <clears throat> hold, <clears throat> excuse me, hold more traditional views. And that... It, that lack of self-awareness is part of why victimology is so powerful, but it may also be what makes it politically vulnerable. Um, and then I added, and so this is part of a post, and I'll add this um, in the show notes. Uh, the true believers in woke are definitely vulnerable politically. That may not seem to be the case in Missoula, where two socialist-leaning candidates won municipal races, but I think that has more to do with the totally inept Republican leadership of Von Dean Kopetsky in Missoula County than it does the strength of candidates like Daniel Carlino, the starry-eyed youngster who is eager to stop the climate from changing now that he's a Missoula City Council virtue signaler. Well, I should eat my words on that one. Uh, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm willing to say I didn't think Daniel Carlino was going to win. But and he, he did. stuck around. He you did. Know, he's faced uh, quite a bit of adversity, if you want to be uh, fair about it, even from within his own side, who was willing to kick him out of his own house uh, just yeah. to try to get him to not run. So maybe so that kudos, a kudos. fire under his ass because yeah. he's yeah. out there putting signs up and talking to people, and now he's on the city council. So. Good well, for you, man. I, I don't know you personally, uh, but you've obviously... I mean, this is the thing about he, the New Jersey truck yeah. driver is like, if you run a really good fucking campaign and you put your nose down to the grindstone, you can still win something, it, yep. especially when the other side is so complacent and lazy and uncurious about the world that they won't even know you're doing it. And, and uh, Daniel Carlino... That's what I hoped Jacob Elder's campaign was going to be. Obviously, well, exactly, exactly. And that was um, your point in criticism early on is that there seemed to be a lack of a ground game. Carlino was recording videos... Um, he was going out into multiple locations around town, clearly knocking doors, clearly getting probably more yard signs than any other candidate out there. Um, and, and so he, he did or does deserve kudos for for running an actual campaign, um, for getting on the, the, the city council. I mean, he probably ran more of a campaign than Engen did. If we're being honest, well, of course, um, uh, Most of the he stuff had I saw to. from Engen was like online ads and stuff. I, I, you think John Engen's walking doors? The the problem would... the problem though is ultimately any solutions that he's going to represent is going to require the largest of federal money coming from the trillions and trillions of dollars that's going to be conjured and uh, and thrown at us to solve the climate crisis. Um, you know, and so I. If, if, if Daniel Carlino wants to, to make some, some substantial change around environmental uh, pollution and, and, and problematic you know, situations, um, then he can help be supportive of collaborative volunteer efforts to clean up the reserve street camps. Um, that, that's something that actually there's some common ground there potentially. 
Um, and, and I hope that Daniel Carlino from running the, the tough race that he ran understands why it was tough. And that's because the political establishment doesn't like progressives. They will like like uh, TC's comment that we read last week. Um, you know, they'll, they'll smile and, and listen to you, you know, um, not really intending to, to take it seriously and stab you in the back first chance to get. So um, the the sort of 90s uh, third way Clinton-esque Democrats in Missoula um, are continue to be the power uh, structure here. The ones that um, now have to deal with two sort of socialist leaning candidates. And, and really what that means, you know, for, for locals, it, I don't know. Daniel Carlino um, brought some good attention to the Airbnb um, hollowing out of the, of the housing situation. Um, but my concern is he'll just look for more subsidies from government, more solutions from government um, to, to solve the problem. And, and really what, what the problem is, is an insidious public-private partnership um, approach now um, that, that gives a lot of power to both sides as they use um, each other to hide. So that public-private partnership is something I hope people like Daniel Carlino can see as fascism, uh, because that is what Mussolini was talking about when he was talking about corporatism, is this this power elite that, that work within this corporate structure um, where governments and the private sector are basically hand in hand. Well, we'll see if he lasts. Uh, I think, in my opinion, watching the city council here in Missoula, um, I've seen it at least half a dozen times I can think of where someone is really bright eyed and bushy eyed and gets on that council. And then they figure out they have six other people they need to convince uh, before they can get any chance of anything happening. Uh, and and you also probably need the mayor. You probably need a lot of coalition making. It's you know this is something I've been a bit disappointed as I've sort of seen people that I've helped get into office, and then once they're in, they tend to moderate uh, very yeah. quickly. And I think it's just the realities of the job is once you get into the, one of those positions, the reality of it and what you actually have the power to do and don't have power to do and what it takes to get things done and what it takes to make changes, you know, you don't realize that from the outside. And then you see there and you're like, well, this is my job. This is what I'm supposed to devote all my time to. But what if I really can't change anything? But like, you're also if, you're also in physical proximity to the people now um, that are making those those policy decisions. And so. Um, Jesse Ramos being one of the lone conservatives for, for many election cycles, um, although he did make some inroads in terms of more friendly, I think, friendly relationships with some city council members that thought differently. Um, it, they made it not just difficult for him um, in terms of policy decisions, right? Because um, he knew he didn't have any political power. But uh, but really socially, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see how that perspective that he represented was treated. Um, and, and part of that, that perspective then bled over to the public, the dirty, rotten public, when they started making criticisms, again, in person um, at city council. This is pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic when you were allowed to, um, to be... Uh, in front of your your royal um, lords around that half circle inquisition um, you know type type situ situation you have when you go and talk to the city council members um, and and the public was when they first started making their their noise known um, back in October of 2019 in November of 2019 it was it was interesting because um, there was an idea that maybe like they were like hired from like Jesse Ramos that like this was a conservative ploy. You know, to put up a bunch of people that were going to criticize 
um, the public use of, of tax increment financing. And it's just it's funny because that sort of projection, thinking that the, this kind of outrage couldn't be grassroots, that is part of the political blindness that continues to happen among this political establishment in this town and then nationally. Is is you're thinking um, that people like my wife, and I, I don't want to bring up her as like a bellwether, but you know she is not as politically obnoxious as I am in in being very outspoken in public in my uh, opinions. You know, she's a lot more reasonable and it's just really looking at that impact in her life of what's going to, you know, protect her and the thing that she cares most about, which is her kids. Right. Um, our family is the, the, her focus. And um, she is almost daily, I think, sort of mystified that, that Greg Gianforte is someone that she supports as governor, because um, although she did not vote for him and has not really voted, I think, in my mind, well, I don't want to speak for who she's voted for in terms of political party. But, um, you know, we've both been pretty liberal in our upbringing. I went to got a humanities create a writing degree at the University of Montana, and I was a progressive blogger. Again, I'll say that again, just because it, it mystifies me that I'm in this situation now where um, I just by standing up for my rights as a dad, I'm, I'm being seen as a white supremacist by someone like Travis McAdams, who's studied this for many years at the Montana Human Rights Network. And I, yeah, I just, that's what happens when you stand up for your parental rights, Tim, in Montana. You're a white fucking supremacist. Blows my mind. It just comes from such a place of insecurity, and that's really just how I view it, is, is they only can be around people that think the way they do. They need constant validation that what they're thinking is right. Uh, it, it's well, let me read this quote really quick, um, because I, I don't want to just be saying this off the cuff. Um, you know, this is what I uh, put in my blog post today, um, and it's a quote from the Daily Montanan. Travis McAdam with the Montana Human Rights Network said the parental rights movement isn't new and has percolated amongst anti-government groups for years. The movement has resurfaced recently as frustrations mount over the pandemic and its restrictions. After the Montana legislator took action to limit the power of local health boards, he said the fight to rally conservatives shifted to school boards. McAdam is the director of combating white nationalism and defending democracy at the Montana Human Rights Network and has been with the group for 20 years. Quote, parental rights have become another tool to recruit community members to show up and protest mask mandates and other things, McAdam said. Quote, extremist anti-government folks like Eamon Bundy have seized upon the pandemic as a divisive issue to come into communities and further the device of the division and recruit new members. So he he, he name drops Eamon Bundy. Uh, yeah, Eamon I, Bundy. this is where it's, you have become. I mean, this is no person who is lived or from Montana or lived outside of maybe like Bozeman has the kind of lack of self-awareness that it takes to write these kind of things. If you really believe that you know, parents concerned about the vaccines or the masks or what they're being taught in school as far as inherent racism uh, is a problem and you want to voice those concerns or be better informed, uh, to be labeled as far-right militia groups in the terms of like Ammon Bundy, would you ever listen to that? Would you ever pick up the Missoulian again? Would you ever, I mean, you have to whole hog by this already. It's not meant to convince you. It's meant to scare you into believe right. this or be labeled. Like that's all yeah, it says. Absolutely. You and I, well, I don't want to move too far, but there's another clip I want to play and it's kind of about another topic and that's the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. 
Um, Ooh, yeah, no, I mean, this but is... it does feed right into this because it's yet another example where people in these ivory towers are making snap judgments about a situation. Uh, and that's where I think a trial is a good thing, because in a courtroom, you don't just get to say bullshit. You don't right, get, right, get to call right. people names and be right. You have to prove your case in front of a jury under the parameters and legal precedents as enforced by the judge. OK. And, and so you can't just go out and do this. So if you're not following the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, uh, he was a young man who. I think went uh, to Wisconsin. He, Kenosha. He showed up to Kenosha, right, um, to protect uh, private property rights from what he perceived as um, efforts by organized groups, you know, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, to um, to really violate private property rights and cause mayhem and destruction. So he shows up armed to protect those rights. Correct. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of things you're gonna hear in this, and and they're taken so completely out of context. Uh, because if you know Wisconsin, and I think it's Illinois is the one just south of it. Uh, you know, there's many communities in there. So it'd be like if you lived in uh, El Paso and you went down to like Juarez or somewhere, you just walked across the border. Or, well, they're saying he crossed state lines with a semi-automatic weapon or whatever it is. Well, it, it was pretty common. People crossed that state line there to do shopping and go places all the time. Um, yeah, he was trained as a medic, so he was, during the day, there's footage of him helping to repair some of the damage that was done the previous night by the Jacob Blake riots. Uh, and this night, he was out working as a medic, but he had a, a whole a firearm, and was an AR-15. I might, it's, it looks like a, some sort of assault rifle. And people started coming up, trying to hit him with the skateboard. One guy just blatantly aimed a pistol right in his face, and he killed two guys. And uh, the third one, he blew his arm clean off. And so the uh, prosecution, who decided they were going to prosecute him for murder and attempted murder on this third guy, uh, basically went up. And I was very surprised because typically you're not going to put anyone on the stand, especially if they're a linchpin of your case, unless you've like walked them through everything. There are no surprises. You know the well, answer to well, every right. question and, they're going to be asked. And, and I just and, saw the headline basically that um, the entire case was sort of, you know, collapsed by the the testimony then of this person that was put on on this, the witness stand. Yeah, he was asked by the defense attorney if he had held up his gun and like aimed it at him before he was shot. So this is the guy who was shot in the arm. Right, so right. he had actually picked up a pistol and aimed it at Kyle Rittenhouse, who at this point was actually on the ground. He had been like surrounded by several people and like sort of side attacked in his periphery and, and had been taken to the ground. So he's even in a more vulnerable position. And Line this guy prone, yeah. admits that he, while he was on the ground, he like picked up his pistol and like aimed it at him. And so Kyle Rittenhouse shot back. Seems to me a pretty clear indicator of self-defense and the fact that this is being prosecuted all, you know, kind of smacks of whether this is malicious or not. But the thing I want to play is this supercut of MSNBC, primarily people and liberals, uh, talking about Kyle Rittenhouse uh, before this trial. Narrative started. control. Let's yeah. let's take a listen. Kenosha shooter Kyle Rittenhouse. He murdered two people, by the way. Rittenhouse is basically what you would have had in a school shooter. He's a 17-year-old kid. He shouldn't have had a gun. He crossed state lines to supposedly protect property. No, he was going out to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, a vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the armed teenage vigilante. A 17-year-old vigilante, arguably a domestic terrorist, picked up a rifle, drove to a different state to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, <laughs> a guy who's deeply racist, went with weapons to a Black Lives Matter protest, looking to get in trouble. He did. He murdered a couple of people. Rittenhouse, uh, the 17-year-old kid, just running around, shooting and killing protesters. You see the 17-year-old who was radicalized by Trumpism, 
took his AR-15 to Kenosha and became a killer. A white, Trump-supporting, MAGA-loving, uh, Blue Lives Matter, social media uh, uh, partisan, 17 years old, picks up a gun, drives from one state to another with the intent to shoot people. A 17-year-old boy mm. who drove across state lines with an AR-15 and started uh, shooting people up including a guy with a skateboard. Kyle Rittenhouse, who has killed protesters, unarmed protesters. Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old that went with a weapon into the middle of uh, protests uh, and then provoked people and then shot and killed them. Kyle Rittenhouse is the enemy. A boy from out of state drives up to the state with an AR-15 around his neck, shoots right and kills yeah. a couple of people, uh, shooting wildly, running around, uh, acting like... Uh, rent a cop drove across state a man a man seven feet tall with four arms and seven bazookas going raping pillaging destroying the the wreckage left it will take months to rebuild let's build back better tim i this is the level of hysteria we're at and this is what is kind of well why why, the, why do you support um seven feet tall monsters with four fucking bazookas why do you want to um go on a, a shooting rampage at schools tim I mean, no. On the, I, I was being hyperbolic and joking, I, I by know. the way, because there is that the soundbite that can be used, right? Is that the is that the like little piece that's like taken out of context and? No, because listening it almost reminded me of your stuff about Big Bird and the credibility of the media, because this is the same thing. You know, I don't know why CNN would be trotting out Sanjay Gupta. He apparently just gets spanked on the ass by Joe Rogan a couple yeah. of weeks ago about his complete. Uh, lack of standing up for science on his own network, and then he crawled back and like begged Don Lemon. So, but it so, really is horse so, medicine, isn't it? Tell me it is. So oh, let me pinch my nipples. Will you tell me it's horse medicine? Oh, I will. Yeah, I will. The bean. Tell me how bad conservatives are. They hate democracy. We really love democracy more. Yeah. So, They're going across state lines, an imaginary line. A gun went across. Oh. Tim, are you getting aroused? Oh my goodness. Uh, so, me, that's why I'm back on Twitter. Yeah. Well, and. and and this is a good uh, chance to segue from Gupta to Riverdale because... Um, Can I say one more thing? Oh, of course, of course. The reason this pissed me off the most is because it started an article I read from the Associated Press, okay? The Associated Press is supposed to be the gold star of the internet. And when they described this just a couple days ago, they said Kyle Rittenhouse, quote unquote, gunned down people, okay? He was on the ground on his ass. How is he gunning down anyone? Yeah. <laughs> like, the language... Yeah, if I told you a crazy MAGA-supporting police person crossed state lines with AR-15 to gun down the poor Black Lives Matter protesters, like, you're like, yeah, that guy's a friggin' psycho. Oh, my gosh, he took a gun. Like, but, but then you just hear, like, a normal description of it. It's like, oh, that's so, not so what I thought it was at all. Projection of force in an information war, um, one of the strategies is to just demoralize the other side. And so... Um, you know, when 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 uh, someone that's not bought into the MSNBC, um, you know, sort of propaganda mouthpiece stuff. I mean, that, listening to that, it's just got awful, um, especially after um, listening to you talk about some of the, the actual you know facts of the case in a not hyperbolic manner. Right. And, and so um, the, the, the way that Gupta kind of relates to Riverdale, um, Riverdale is interesting, not just because they find, you know, the most beautiful actors and actresses to play the sort of archetypal characters of Archie and Veronica and Betty and Jughead Jones. 
Um, it's interesting because of the way they do bring in the, the sort of current narratives and then place it into this uh, Riverdale um, sort of hyper-modernized environment. And one of the funny things about season five, I don't know if this is too much of a spoiler, but it might be. I, yeah, anyway, season five? Season five is on Netflix, and that's what I've been binge-watching for the, for the last, like, week. Um, but but it's it's funny because um, what the one of the like the bad guys is um, uh, Hiram Lodge, right? And so Hiram Lodge, you know, was a shoe shine son of a shoe shiner. He changed his name because he kind of bought in with the mob early on, and now he's trying to destroy Riverdale um, because of some like vendetta. But one of the things that he's promoting is this um, south of Riverdale town called Sodale, and it, it made me think of. Do you remember Sobro? in no. missoula um so as as they uh they were like pitching all this new development um with the new hotel that replaced the merc in downtown missoula south of broadway where all this new cool like restaurants and hip development was happening they, there was an, an effort to kind of brand it as sobro south of broadway sobro wasn't going to stick because they haven't totally um, sucked the soul out of this town quite yet. But in Sodale, Sodale is a is a complete fake. It's it's a it's just like a mirage to invest money in. It's not it's not real. Oh. Um, but Sodale is being used to suck the the life out of Riverdale. And so when Archie comes back from war and Jughead comes back from being an alcoholic writer, um, and everyone's coming back to try and save the school and save the town, um, uh, Hiram Lodge disincorporates the town, but. They, they get the school, they privatize the school so that they're not relying on public funding and they're able to cobble enough together so that they can bring a little bit of hope. And it's like, you don't want that hope. And Hiram Lodge knows you don't want this town to have a little shred of hope because you can start building things around that hope. And what Sanjay fucking Gupta did when he went in Rogan and got his ass kicked by Rogan, um, he actually gave people like me a little bit of hope um, because Rogan has the money and the platform to sit Sanjay Gupta down and be like, listen, motherfucker, you uh, you want some attention and some of my media, you know, hype. But like, I'm going to I'm going to tell you how it is, because this is my podcast and my my world. And he's like, I can afford people medicine, motherfucker. And it, it made me think of what you were talking about, um, you know, weeks and weeks ago about this whole horse dewormer thing being a socioeconomic sort of label, you know, and part of what. Uh, part of what um, Rogan's able to do is like, I, not only does he have money, he can afford the best treatment. And so it just highlights CNN's smear against him as being that much more disgusting that they want to try and depict um, what for some people is a reality of going off brand or going to the quote veterinarian or something to, to get antibi antibiotics or s something like that. So it, it was very interesting. And that's why I wanted to insert just a little bit of Riverdale um, to, to sort of bounce off that Gupta. And I want to circle you back to South Park because I know you haven't okay. watched it in years, but yeah, I'm haven't. really hoping there's a new season coming out. I should look. Uh, but there is an episode a few seasons ago where uh, they start gentrifying South Park, and so they bring like a Whole Foods. I am very too. aware of this. It's been mentioned to me by by uh, multiple people that okay. this is like some of the best cultural critique from South Park. They, they've done. I, they went a little nuts on the Trump, but I'll, I'll give them credit. I don't even think it was invalid criticism. It Gentrification bit... is is ripe for that kind of uh, mockery. Um, you know, some of the the roots to the the modern sense of gentrification go back to people like Richard Florida and new urbanism. And, and part of my interest and focus is how artists really do make places hip and cool, and then the money and capital comes in and sort of sucks the life out of it. Um, so there's been an interesting dynamic over the years in, in many different uh, locations where places like the Hip Strip, just uh, south of downtown, you know, that place is rapidly um, being destroyed. It's, it's very sad. Oh, yeah, Hobnob's closing. I think the bead store is closing. I've actually, before we moved back over here, 
uh, whoever owns those like studio and one bedroom uh, condos right above there, uh, we Fontaine. stayed in one of those. Yeah, I don't know. They, yeah. they rent them as Airbnbs. They're they're nice to stay in, but they're you know no one local actually lives there. Some of them are Airbnb. Are, are they all Airbnb? Airbnb's I thought most of them were. There's like half a dozen there. Let me play you the South Park treatment of this because there's a guy who names uh, City Walk. You know the Asian guy. He's okay. one of the old characters here. Uh, he decides he wants to gentrify his part of town because no one's coming to City Walk anymore. So he does this commercial. Oh, I gotta actually turn it up. Exciting place where people can gather to shop, experience, and grow. This is an all-new food and nightlife district. This is Shitty Pot Town. Where else but Shitty Pot Town can you get all the shitty hot spots and shitty food that South Park is known for? In the mood for some local seafood? Red Robster has all the freshest from Colorado's many oceans. Or if a handcrafted ale is more your thing, head on down to Skeeter's Bar for a local ale like a Coors and a Coors Ride. <laughs> and then, of course, there's a Shitty Walk. South Park's historic Asian fusion landmark featuring a shitty chicken and a shitty sour soup. The state-of-the-art toilet is designed for men and women and is a great place for you to squeeze out all the shitty food you've enjoyed. Now South Park has another neighborhood to mingle and relax. Shitty Park Town. Welcome home. <laughs> so, you know... That's funny. Um, I always do one of those. This is where, yeah, I need to get my video skills way better because th th you could just tell so much more of a story in something like that. It's just well, like shitty pot town. One of the things that immediately like popped in my head is like Missoula has... Welcome has, to Tiff. We are going to put the Tiff in the shitty pot of town. You can't sniff the Tiff. You cannot take one sniff of the Tiff. We have a Portland Lou. That was one of the things that, that went in in terms of gentrification um, is the this like fancy bathroom and oh, I'm trying to look for something online to uh, remind myself of, of how ridiculous that was because it cost like I think thirty thousand um, dollars and for for a long time it uh, wasn't even really open to the to the public. Um, uh, let me see if I can find something about that. But it's you know it it, it is a phenomenon gentrification specifically um, that uh, people I think are becoming more aware of the dynamics that that are leading to their um, increased financial insecurity and, and what they're feeling about what they can do and with all of the the tensions and stressors that are existing now supply chains sort of looking like they're collapsing apparently Christmas is going to get canceled because you know gifts from from China might not be um, coming in time. Oh man, those truckers meeting at Christmas. It's, it's, those, it's those truckers again. I know, stupid truckers. Why don't you just work forever for nothing? But um, <laughs> so uh, we might other topics you wanted to touch on. What uh, are we at time wise in know. terms we're of like forty five minutes? We're um, only forty five minutes, man. We got to at least hit we're a so an efficient hour. at our ranting these days that um, <laughs> couldn't I go, well. I, I'm just really, you know, I sort of felt it from you coming in today. I'm really getting to this place of like psychic, like I just need to take a step back from stuff because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm the amount of actual information and like useful stuff I'm getting is just like 10% now. It's just 90% negativity. You could just see, like, this was the thing about looking at Twitter. It's like, I, I don't. What, what, what do I have to contribute here? Does anyone here actually listen to me? I'd say there's like two categories of people I even care about on Twitter. And, and one of those is scientists who I've known for like 20 years who I really uh, trust and have got me into statistics. There's a couple on there. I started studying statistics 20 years ago because I started learning about 
or retired engineers who were actually going through the climate change data at that point, which is like 20 years old, and, and showing why it was wrong and showing why it was missing. And so that really got me interested in, in mathematics and statistics at the time. And so there's people I still follow. Um, other than that, uh, it just seems like the same thing over and over and over. Every I love going to like the Steve Danes post or the Ryan Zinke post. There's so many pissed off, angry people, and it's usually the same people too. Uh, half of them are anonymous or have pictures of animals. Half of them don't even live in Montana, but really have strong opinions about Ryan Zinke and Steve Danes. It's like, what does this well, bring the, to my fucking the other life, day? Man? The other day here at Zootown Arts Community Center, um, the community radio station was was tabling, and so they're looking for people to to be DJs on community radio. Oh. Um, and I was asking them if they could ever do like a call in show. I know a lot of times you have to have that delay in case you know naughty naughty words are are said because yeah. um, that would be FCC regulated um, what they're doing. But community radio is sort of a, a fun idea. Um, but but trying to keep the eye on projects and things you can do that are that are productive. Um, I, I look at networking and, and just some of the stuff that I've been researching uh, regionally is just fascinating to me. Um, I was in Spokane recently um, and I got a, a book that I was showing you that sort of rare uh, or old book from uh, 1891 or something. It's a uh, Spokane Parks Century Commission. Yeah. yeah, when government's creating embossed, it's uh, quite it's, nice. It's, it's, it's beautiful and it's fascinating. And I continue to be interested in the Pacific Northwest. I've been writing up uh, something about the weird Northwest because I have a couple uh, podcasts that I'm trying to get on. Although my tinfoil hat was rescheduled. It was canceled and I don't have a date yet for rescheduling. But um, but there's going to be some opportunities to continue thinking regionally. And, and just talking to the, the lady in Spokane, one of the things I mentioned to her is, um, you know, the, getting information over mountain passes like pony uh, pony express style um trying to get you know food and, and and resources in cold weather months i mean these kind of tangible things that might actually be a part of our our near future at some point um trading bartering agorism as a alternative to a fiat currency that is going to experience inflation from out of control money printing you know all this kind of stuff is is um scary in some ways if you think about it in in the scary terms of what might be lost I'd like to try and think of opportunities, and I really do see opportunities happening. Um, one focus that I'd like to continue looking at is some of the local political things that are happening, school board positions. There will be, I think, six open school board positions next spring. Um, and I do think that the establishment here in this town is concerned that the organizing will get more effective um, from people that don't have the same feelings about uh, imposing a woke cult on, on the rest well, of us. Okay, so here's the thing. I think in most situations, any reasonable person be, can, can be convinced that they probably need to get the vaccine, okay? Especially if you're older, especially if you have a health condition, there's a lot of comorbidities. Uh, I think it's an easier sell. However, kids, five-year-old kids, I mean, even... I assume every poll on, C, C, on TV is basically under samples the conservative by position by at least 10 points now i don't know too many uh, conservative people that don't even just hang up on pollsters when they say you know only 21 percent of parents feel comfortable getting their kids vaccinated uh that's a pretty big hurdle to overcome and yet it's it, it seems to indicate a humongous gap between the public at large who's going to be affected by these policies and the people themselves in power and i think the people in power you know they're automatically because they don't want to be seen as heartless always going to advocate what 
is the safety position, quote unquote, the safe position, which is the vaccines. I think for regular people who now have been living almost two years in this COVID hell that we've been experiencing together, thanks to Fauci and the Chinese, uh, that's a really hard sell. And I don't know how you go when over 70% of people, including people who would normally be on your side, uh, how you sell that to them. And I don't think you can do it by force. I think the more you try to force this issue and not convince, you're gonna harden people in that 70% not believing the kids should get vaccinated. Uh, well, when I was talking to Superintendent Heather Schmidt, so she's the superintendent of Target Range. Target Range is separate from Missoula County Public Schools, but they, my understanding is they take the direction from MCPS. Oh, they do? I didn't know that. Are there yeah. other schools like that? I just assume everything in the county was under MCPS. No, no. Um, you know, I don't know enough about the, the nuances. I just know the Target Range is, is separate, and that um, is a really good thing in a lot of ways because it's provided more um, flexibility, for the school to, to do and try things. Um, and so sometimes that, that scaled down uh, situation can be, can be good. And um, I was frustrated to see that Heather Schmidt um, essentially last week put the school on a higher alert because of the, the words that came out of Quentin Rhodes' mouth, essentially. And mm -hmm. so, you know, last week I called, um, I called her and left a message and she got back to me Friday, right as I was waking up from a nap. Um, so, um, I, I guess maybe I didn't have enough energy to be combative in that in that conversation. And I'm you not, can be combative, Travis. Let's be honest. I've heard you on the phone a few times. It's, you can be. Combative. Oh, I, I I will not deny that. Um, but I had a good conversation, you know, with Heather, where she said that, um, you know, MCPS is not just you know dic dictating what's going to happen to to target range. And I said that's good. Um, I told her that I was at the Cross Point Church meeting. Um, that I brought up specific concerns I had about conflicts of interest. Um, I asked her what she thought about school board member and a nonprofit employee engaging in political activity. And she told me that she hadn't given it much thought. And I said, well, you know, I do. I'm a citizen journalist, you know, looking into things happening in this town. And I'm like, well, you are talking about, um, you know, your concern about the, the safety, which, you know, that's the, the school, her safety. That's her terrain. I'm like, you know, meanwhile, things happening in our community with drug and alcohol abuse. You know, there are car chases happening and people drowning in ponds by my kids' school. So it's like I, I respect the work that Heather has to do to, you know, field conversations and phone calls from parents like me. Um, but the public safety in terms of that, that bigger conversation happening, you know, as we continue to have alcohol abuse being a, a significant issue, drug and alcohol abuse, um, the things happening in the in the homeless community as we go into the cold weather months, the Johnson Street shelters is back open again. Um, I, I saw this guy that's pretty recognizable now because he's always walking around and really out of it, walking to traffic and almost get hit by a car uh, a few days ago. Um, there will be more bad things happening and more more examples of the limitations of what we can do to actually help people in this community. And, you know, we'll we'll see what we'll see what happens. But um, that's I'm another focus of mine for sure to school this weekend. I, I should have told you about this because I think it's something you would have really liked to have done. What, what are you doing? Tell there me about it now. There is the speech and debate for all the Missoula nice. uh, AA schools meet this weekend, and I'm signed up to judge some rounds of that because people may not know I'm a former national semifinalist. Nice. I was coerced many years ago by my good friend Jim Bennett to, to be a judge once, and um, he actually had some experience going against Don Pagreba back in the day. He said uh, Don was a lot of fun to, to go against in terms of speech and debate. Yeah. Uh, is there something else that happened uh, in the last week that I'm 
you may not be aware of, or you may, uh, and that is the D redistricting commission uh, has mostly settled on their final map. That's I may right. Have to look that's this right. Up because I think the hearing was today where they decided it 100. Um, percent But in a very surprising move to me, the Democrat donor Maylin Smith, who was appointed by the Supreme Court after Sheila Stern stepped down, uh, the redistricting commission traditionally has two Democrats, two Republicans, and then one independent as sort of a referee between the two. Um, it sort of seems logical to me that after winning nine of the last 10 statewide offices in the last two election cycles, Republicans should kind of get carte blanche to draw their map. Uh, spoils is sort of a thing we have in right, American right. democracy. You win, you get to make some rules for winning. Uh, but she crossed over, and this, I think, was a compromise map. I just sent you a picture of this. Have you seen it? Are you familiar with the what the map looks like, how yeah, our well, new district's going to look? I saw some of the—I read some of the feedback um, in terms of what people were saying. So was Kalispell split? Um, what what no, went to the this east? One, okay, so to try to describe it to people listening, most of the west is in its district. So Bozeman, Butte, Missoula, and Kalispell are all going to be in the western district, as well as all the smaller counties up in the northwest the the canadian border the idaho border pretty much everything with idaho it touches is uh, in in the western district and in order to achieve that they are going to put helena which is another democratic stronghold in the east so helena oh really great falls billings all of eastern montana most of the high line like north uh the the county uh that got split ends up being pondera county which to me, I, I'm assuming they just sort of roped the other reservation. Is that the one that's in the, the is, is that the one that's in the north, Pondera? That sort of uh, yeah. So you see Kalispell, and then yeah. to the east of the one, uh, the the one that split half green, half gotcha, yellow. Uh, gotcha. MTN News and my Twitter, other people have had this. Um, and for people unaware of Montana, it's a similar kind of setup, you know, culturally that Washington State has, where. Um, a lot of the higher density population and more liberally leaning population is in the western part of the state, whereas the eastern part of the state tends to be a little bit more rural, agrarian, kind of conservative based. Yeah, and the, the reason this is important also is because, as I said, whoever wins gets to make the rules. The Democrats have been experts at winning nothing but finding power and making rules. I mean, that's why the whole yeah. judiciary is basically run by the Democrats now. Um, the, the thing that was kind of surprising to me is just you know, I've lived pretty much most of the last 20 years either in Bozeman and Missoula. And if you don't know what the legislative map for the 100 legislative districts looks like in Montana, uh, they're very gerrymandered to help the Democrats. In almost every situation, uh, it looks almost like a wagon wheel where you take about a big urban <laughs> center in the middle of Missoula or Bozeman and you wrap out about 40 percent of the rural community. So that way yeah. you can make sure... Uh, that the Democrat wins that district, and then the Republicans are always going to be the losers in that district. And you can draw they get the scraps. I would say the the Democrats have at least three to five extra seats in the way that they just carve up these communities with the colleges. Mm -hmm. However, especially during COVID, especially with the big enrollment drop at U of M, they have not been able to rely on that strategy as much. Um, so in pretty much my entire time I've lived in Montana, I've always had to vote in a losing district because I was always part of the suburban or rural part that got wrapped into Bozeman by the university. I mean, my parents somehow are in Sealy Lake, Montana, 50 miles away, and they're still wrapped down into the rattlesnake. Uh, that oh, was how they it are. Was. Yeah, in, in, in Bozeman, too. I lived like tw 10 miles southeast of town. and Because they know that's where they're big, reliable. They go up, they give people pizza, they take them on a bus, tell them they're fighting climate change, tell them to vote. And that's like, you know, a good portion of their base, quote, unquote. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I just found this interesting. really interesting. 
I, I haven't actually run the numbers to see how flexible the two districts are. It looks like I would have to get down to precinct level data to do that. So I just haven't. Well, yet, and but. if people do want to wade through the, the toxicity that is Twitter, um, you know, I, you are doing good work putting information out there, putting uh, numbers, trying to understand some of the updates with the DPHHS oh, yeah. and with the code. Yeah, we should um, touch on that for sure because um, one of the challenges uh, as a as a big state with a lot of geography and not a lot of people, we got about a million people in the, in the entire state of Montana. Um, when we get the national headlines of being one of the one of the worst places with with COVID infections. Um, and I don't always speak about the COVID in, in correct terms. I, I liked Roy. He, he has a much better way of being more specific in his conversations about all these cases. And one of the terms I focus, though, on is per capita, right? And so um, trends can sort of explode in ways in, in smaller population states um, that can maybe skew mm. a person's thinking in terms of what an actual – um, what the actual on-the-ground reality is. And so, you want to hear part of this meeting? It looks like it's going yeah. on as it's we possible, speak. possible uh, for people wanting to submit maps. So now. the chair is speaking right now. That interest in this process is this over the congressional maps? Yeah, I guess I didn't actually get to it, but she shocked everyone by crossing to vote with sure the Republican compromise. Give them some direction mm. as well. Let's so listen. this is her speaking. Oh. They might be still I, be I, taking Madam Chair, I, I would hope the criteria, again, uh, People should understand that's that's why we went through this long process to get these criteria is, is that this is know, Joe Lamson, one of the Dem members also adopted the legislative things. And so I would urge the public look look to those first, because any map that I, I certainly evaluate, that's the first place I start. So thank you. Commissioner Miller, Madam Chair, I don't think that it. Um, I don't think it should be required that people who want to submit a map submit a 100 district map. Um, but I do think it should be strongly encouraged by us that they um, submit a larger region of districts. She's speaking through a mask. It's a bit hard to hear. Um, and that doesn't put a limit on it. People can submit whatever they want, just like they can come before us and say whatever they want. <laughs> um, anyway, uh <laughs> Funny thing happened to me on the way up here. Uh, that was, that was, was some sausage making happening. In the drive through at Taco John's grabbing lunch before I came in. And the guy in front of me was wearing a mask in his car. And then he rolled down his window and kept the mask on to talk to the speaker at the drive through And I was like, and then he gets up to the drive through and takes the mask off and like hands the lady cash. So I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's a little confounding. You're scared of the speaker in your car. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. But yeah, so the, the summary of what I tried to get in there is we probably have the two districts drawn. This will be the first time since I've been a voting age where we're actually two Montana districts yeah. since we haven't yeah. had it for 30 years, thanks to immigration. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of a, a interesting little thing that uh, actually, do you want to talk about? Let me let me. When we we uh, sat down and had lunch on Friday. Oh, I was actually just going to bring it up. Should we Would should we like talk to? should yeah. we talk about so our, our heated conversation about? We my did have a bit of a heated conversation <laughs> because I'm not generally a Ryan Zinke fan. Um, I kind of go back and forth, but his ties to out of state and his sort of corrupt government and the fact that he wouldn't even say the words Donald Trump in 2016 while running for Congress and hasn't stopped saying it since just kind of makes me think he's not principled. Uh, so another Democrat, Tom Winter, uh, who was in the Montana Ledge, and one of his claims to fame is 
is carrying like a, a Trump district as mm -hmm. a Democrat. Um, he's sort of in that same mold that's been traditional Democrat for a few decades now of Steve Bullock, of Brian Schweitzer, of John Tester, you know, moderate white guy who just seems reasonable about things, but really wants to put forward some sort of populist democratic ideals. Uh, so I was telling uh, you and Roy, because we were having lunch that day, uh, you know, I would consider voting for a Tom Winter over a Ryan Zinke, and he's probably going to be, that's probably going to be the matchup. If and Roy I had and I were right horrified. Now. Well, the other two, Cora Newman and Lori Bishop, uh, and actually Monica Trannell is also running, so. Um, oh, yeah, interesting. What's interesting. also interesting is I think one of them is actually from Helena, so the way that they drew the map, it might actually take one of those out of their district, but. Yep. So that was my thing was at least this guy seemed to be like saying actual things that would concern uh, voters in Montana instead of just reporting talking points from Fox News, which is what Ryan Zinke seems kind of content to do right now. So um, I've reported a bit on uh, Tom Winter uh, over the last couple of years, and I had a chance to talk to him in person um, because there's some connections there. You know, talk to someone at a wedding turned out to be his like mom. I think it was mm -hmm. his mom. And, and so I talked to him about uh, Medicaid and the the way that Medicaid could be framed as sort of a, a pro law enforcement bill because of the way that Medicaid um, covers case management services for people that might be in crisis. And so I had this whole thing and um, and I'm not going to get into some of the, my specific points for being kind of cynical, but some of the stuff that I have covered, um, one of the more recent ones was February 19th, 2021. And the title of this post is the Montana post in Missoulian allowed Democrat Tom Winter to spread misinformation about violence at the Capitol on January 6th. So in an op-ed uh, that Tom Winter had run in the Missoulian, this is the uh, quote, our governor made his name assaulting a reporter. He's referring to Gianforte who assaulted a reporter. Our governor made his name assaulting a reporter. Then, after failing to buy our governorship for $5 million in 2016, he flipped over the seat cushions in the old private jet and found another $7 million for the second try. Now he has another mansion, the governor's, to add to his collection. His former employee, our very own Senator Danes, incited a violent coup attempt against our democracy. His mob of traitors beat a police officer to death with a fire extinguisher in the U.S. Capitol. And then there's Rep. Rosendale, eagerly along for the seditionist ride, grinning like a 58-year-old schoolboy anytime Fox News needs a talking head to shout conspiratorial lunacy. And so in, in that same post, so that's Tom Winter. That's Tom Winter in an op-ed run in the Missoulian um, about the January 6th um, coup attempt. Ha, 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 ha. Um, I also wanted to, to, to mention in that post that I wrote about um, how he was sniffing a TIF opportunity um, to enrich his property investment with public money. So this is another quote. A U.S. congressional candidate for, from Missoula plans to build eight to ten three-story high-end townhomes in downtown Missoula near the Clark Fork River. On Thursday, the Missoula Redevelopment Agency's board voted unanimously to allow Tom Winter to proceed with work on deconstructing the older houses at 322 Levasseur Street. Winter plans on submitting an application in July for tax increment financing. Yeehaw! Assistance for deconstruction of two buildings and for re required public infrastructure upgrade at the site. And the Thursday vote allows him to move forward without prejudicing a future application. Um, so my bias, which I have them, um, is against uh, people using um, tax increment financing at this point, um, because I, I really my my position would be tax increment financing needs to end. I don't care what letters or I don't I don't care at this point 
um, what the justification is for needing to use it. Um, Missoula is a Zoom town. We are experiencing rapid gentrification, um, a hollowing out of the people that are serving um, the wealthy coffees and foods. Um, we don't have that sort of infrastructure left. And so anyone that's adding to that negative housing pressure um, by thinking that it's great to use some public money um, to recoup the cost of deconstruction so you can build some fucking townhomes and condos, you know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Um, I, I know some artists and there was a deep desire by an artist to, to build a condo out of uh, cardboard boxes. And so we went around town to get some supplies and we went to ace and we got some spray paint and was this some, recent this was recent this oh, is this was like ace man this was on friday this well this guy's a big vaccine i heard about that but anyways i was buying some tape and some spray paint um and then i eagerly was talking to the cashier about whether or not they had some boxes and i told the cashier i'm like listen we really like condos and we're going to build some condos artist impressions of condos and we think all of missoula should be a condo okay and I, I was saying this in this kind of like i don't know if this guy is being really just crazy or if he's really that excited about condos but if he's making them out of cardboard boxes probably not then this woman behind us laughed she was laughing and any kind of encouragement i get like that i'm just like you must like condos as much as we like condos and um she was like you guys are great that's hilarious so i'm like well we're really gonna want to like see condos everywhere and she's like well i just moved from seattle and um yeah i know what you guys are saying about it all changing like that and it's kind of like well I, I didn't say this to her at the time being like well i hope you respect the fact that we don't want your seattle here um maybe she's a nice seattle person i don't want to judge she laughed, and so that made me feel good. And so maybe I'll just leave it at that. But um, it's it's getting to the point where that 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 is my bias. And so, well, I'm um, gonna rebuke you. Oh, because I'm reading this op-ed, and he goes on to say some other things. Uh, quote: mm -hmm. Republicans have successfully painted Democrats as the party of coastal elites, but who do they serve? They're decontrusting our state, rebuilding it in service to their out-of-state donors. This was written, I think, February is about three weeks after the January sixth stuff happened. Oh, okay, okay. Democrats aren't blameless. We forgot our allegiance to working families. We ignore the pain of voters suffering through decades of stagnant wages because taxing the rich is a tough sell to wealthy donors. What we call moderation in closed-door meetings looks like callousness to the voters, and it was. And then we lost. We lost bad to very bad people. The voters saw our buzzwords, performative beer drinking, and lack of substance policy as they were. Condescension. Instead, they chose the Republicans' gleeful, I got mine, violence. At least they looked like they had the courage to fight a broken system. And rather than examining ourselves and our motives, rather than asking if our moderation we were supporting the exploitation of working Montanans, we turned on them. Uh, wow. Good job, Tom Winter. I mean, at this point, I don't feel like I really identify with either party. And that's where it's like traditionally I would be on this conservative side, but it's become so knee-jerk, like, fuck you back. It's like... That's not the side I want to take is just fuck well, that guy. Tim, like, that's Tim, not how I want government to run. Tim, how how hilarious is it that, you know, I'm over here, former progressive blogger bashing the Democrat, and you're over there reading some encouraging, insightful commentary from this guy that, that indicates not all of them are completely um, no, idiotic but, when it comes to being a little aware of what they're doing to turn off voters. But so this, kudos, for, kudos. This is the problem. How do you win a primary without taking on crazy on yourself? Okay. Yeah. How do you get through a primary unless the only way that democrats traditionally get through these primaries and let to be like moderate enough to actually win is they go to their base and like we need someone who can win this person is too far left we can't elect bernie sanders they'll never vote for a socialist and then donald trump will win we can't elect bernie sanders then you know it's 
moderates or, or, or I would say, especially like Montana Democrats, they tend to be keenly aware of who can win a statewide election and who can't. Okay. Well, that used to seem like the case. There was a reason yeah. no one really helped Bryce Bennett with this campaign or Shane Morizo with this campaign. You know, they were probably going to start out the thing, especially if how badly they lost in 2016. It was going to be a hard sell. And that's why it's also kind of surprising that Carlino won. But, you know, that same process of getting yourself out there in front of voters and trying over and over till they remember your name, it does work, but it doesn't work with, with these people who... I don't know. Well, I'm interested in school board positions being open and, and what it's going to take to, to um, run a potential campaign um, with the disadvantage of conservatives in this town having uh, little to no narrative control when it comes to legacy media. Um, I, one of the things that, that might need to happen, um, and this is very self-serving, this is blatant self-interest, is... Hey, candidates, come long form media style on a podcast run by uh, Tim and Travis. Well, you know? but, but that's the kind of conversations that I'm looking for to better yeah. understand where someone might come from is 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 not just that you can maybe talk for an hour, but it, you would actually be willing to subject yourself to a long form um, you know, conversation. I think you and I have shown that we are able to at least, you know, talk and consider different points of view. I know I can be wrong. There's a lot of areas in which I really hope actually that I'm wrong. Um, and you know, you and I both have come from different political backgrounds. Um, but we, we really, I think are, are, you know, I think we're pretty reasonable when it comes down to it, you know, talking about just our opinions and beliefs and experiences that formed yeah, those and, opinions and, you and know, beliefs. And, and also this is what's so hard about all this is you need to sort of balance like traditional wisdom about campaigns and everything. we yeah. also with what's going on in the current moment. And, you know, what happened in the current moment, Missoula, was three judges that decided to run their campaigns with the same themes and the same treasure and the same looking signs all won their races. Yep. So even yep, just yep, yep. one competent person apparently was able to get most of the municipal judiciary elected exactly as they'd like it to see. For, for, uh, so, for people not um, not aware of that local, that particular local race, it was a very interesting thing where three public defenders ran a race um, with three identical uh, styled signs and the same consulting firm, Westridge Creative. Um, and, and now they will be taking a what I think what people would assume is a shared vision, although they were um, careful to assert individual, uh, you know, opinions, but they will be taking municipal courts um apparently the, uh, the direction away from Kathleen Jenks, who was a big meanie. Yeah, and, and one of them is so tough on crime that despite leaving his car uh, completely unlocked That's right. because he was so excited to go to his victory party that when he came uh, back out to drive home slightly later, a homeless woman had crawled inside to sleep in a warm place, uh, and he called the cops and had her sighted. So... Good that, job, Missoula. I mean, a got black guy gets killed in Minnesota. You'll be out there on the courthouse lawn protesting your fucking lungs out. But a bl black guy gets killed in Missoula streets every single week. I haven't seen one protest yet. So and, and, way and, to live by your principles, and, and, man. And, and, and this is this is the amazing thing. This is the amazing thing to me is that um, the lack of accountability he took in securing his uh, private property, his car. Okay, it resulted in someone taking advantage of that in, a, in what could be seen as a crime of opportunity, but for someone that lacks a, a consistent home, um, could be seen also as a um, desperate move of survival. Um, and in order to rectify this situation, he wasn't able to rely on his own verbal skills. Um, someone that's even uh, as a lawyer, even as a lawyer, and now a judge. Yeah, he wasn't able to, to, to talk compellingly to this. Or maybe he didn't have the patience because it was two maybe. in the morning and he wanted to go home. Yeah, and, and luckily law enforcement was there to help him. 
Um, and, and we'll see where that goes. Um, and on the flip side, I was at a local establishment that I like to patronize um, frequently because they kick ass and they know my name. Um, and they're just, they're fantastic people. And there was someone making, making a, a, a stink a bit, right? Um, she's pretty unstable, um, you know, not in the best place. And it was an interesting situation in which, um, I kind of tried to engage and she quickly made it, um, uh, apparent to me that that was not going to be accepted by her. And so I pulled back and I sat down and drank my coffee. Um, and then she tried to talk to me because she thought I was like maybe filming her or something. And I wasn't. And so I, I told her, no, I'm not interested in talking to you. Please, st please stop talking to me, ma'am. Um, and then after that, she actually softened up a bit and I was able to, to give her some contact information. Um, uh, there's a few people that I might be able to be references for if they're trying to get into housing. Um, and another thing I wanted to, to mention before we wrap up today, um, I did put out a, a interview I did with Jeff Roach. And so, um, the audio was not the greatest. I think I had the, the speakers actually putting some output so that there was a little bit of an echo. Um, but one of the things I'd wanted to do, and I want to continue looking for opportunities to do is to bring some of those voices in if possible. Um, Jeff used to work at the Wilma. He's been here since 1988. Um, so he was able to kind of share some of those experiences from working at the elevator, the manually operated elevator. Um, he remembers the Chapel of the Dove, something I'm researching locally. He remembers Edward Sharp, the co-owner of the, the Wilma, and Koro Hato, the pigeon that Edward Sharp raised as a little baby pigeon in need and um, became sort of a part of his like cabaret-style performative uh, routine. And so it was nice to, to get him in here and to kind of share some experiences. But one of the interesting things about that is um, I took him back to the uh, transitional safe outdoor space. Um, he's currently a resident out there living in a tent. He has a cat and his cat was in the tent when we when I got Jeff him out there. Living out there. Yep. So he's a resident of the TSOS. And it's interesting because part of what he shared is that uh, John Engen himself helped Jeff get into housing years ago. Mm. Um, I don't know if that was like, you know, finding, helping to kind of find the housing. Uh, I believe that, that Engen was the mayor still back then at the time. He's been mayor for 16 years. So, um, but, but Jeff is someone that's been in this community for a very long time. Um, he said very positive things about Engen. You know, he gave some great feedback on a poem that I, that I read. And it was just nice to kind of get that perspective a bit on um, the challenges that, that people experience. One of the things that I know he's, he's dealt with is losing housing because of not setting boundaries with friends who want to come over and crash and stay, you know, hang out. And then that hangout becomes a week or two weeks. And if you're living in a subsidized housing program, like through the Missoula Housing Authority, you can't do that. Um, you're not allowed to do that. I know so many people that have lost their housing because, you know what? It's really hard to say no to someone that you know personally when you got into housing and it's cold in Montana and they're saying, my other options, the POV or, you know, you know, I just got kicked out of the hotel I was staying at, the motel room. Um, and, and so these are the dynamics that continue to, to really, I think, uh, provide a lot of challenges to the, the, the people in the homeless industrial complex. And one of the things that actually happened on Sunday is that Susan Haypatrick put out an op-ed where she is doing some preemptive damage control already because the 10-year planned and homelessness reaching home, yeah. it's 10 years old next year. And so um, she was she was very quick, um, well, not quick, but just out there um, already here in November saying that, no, we're not a failure. So I'll be looking more into that specific claim that, um, that her organization, her stewardship of the 10-year plan that was removed from United Way's oversight for very good reasons, um, her claim that, that it's not a failure 
in my humble estimation is a joke, but um, I, I know a lot about those dynamics. So we'll, we'll get into that in the, in the weeks and months to come. Um, some of the other homeless related issues. I mean, there are locations being identified, new tents um, coming in. And the broader picture that, that I think some people have identified is that there are zoning changes as part of a larger push um, to make changes in, in land use that might be coming. So as you're looking at um, new programs, tiny homes, with you know centralized program like you know someone that's like kind of on site as a program manager, um, these seemingly beneficial things might have more nefarious long term consequences when it comes to changes in zoning and the trillions of dollars that are going to be coming with infrastructure spending um, from Papa Uncle Sam, Uncle Papa Sam, Daddy yeah, Fed. I don't, I don't know. Big Papa. Big Daddy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have much more to say today, Travis. I just. It, I, I commend you for being here, Tim, and for being willing to continue having a conversation. I, I think this is a valuable thing. Well, I, I know from feedback I get from people that they value this conversation and being able to listen to us, us rant. So we'll, we'll, yeah, keep, we'll keep doing it and see where it goes. It is know? just kind of a natural part of the cycle, too. It's like when you spend so much time in the weeds of an election of different candidates of different issues, when all that stuff finally comes to a resolution, it's almost like... <sighs> An emptiness right. is like, ah, oh, the stress is gone, especially like November and December. I, I think most Americans just sort of check out mentally for those two months. Be like, we're just going to hide in our house and, and do well, some Well, luckily, man, I got some fun stuff coming. I'm compiling a lot of my poems into um, the collection that is uh, titled Babylon by Gaslight. Um, I've got some stuff coming up that I'll, on the blog about weird Pacific Northwest stuff. That's a good um, title. I like that. Oh, it's I, one of my favorites. I, I thought about, about it months and months ago. Um, and, and some of the, the, the things that, that were hinted at, at on the, the Sesame Street poem, you know, Astro World and the occult reading of what happened out there, uh, regardless of oh, all the weirdness. There was something um, I really wanted to talk to you about. Have you seen this Travis Scott concert thing that happened over there? That's Astro World. Okay. Oh, Astro. Okay. And we are going to save that for another time because that is a deep, dark rabbit hole. Deep, I will say I'm, I'm not like an occult person. I tend to be pretty atheistic. Uh, that was strange to look at. Yeah. Uh, like if you had to picture what some sort of demonic festival and what would happen to people who went to it, that looked an awful like, lot like what I thought it would look like in reality. So, yeah. At yeah, least from the pictures coming yeah. out. The, Something like 300 people were injured. Nine and 10 year old kids are getting crushed to death. Someone's just taking that was an injection. That was misinformation. The youngest victim, my understanding, was 14. But we should definitely talk about that next week okay. because that is something that um, it, it's within my wheelhouse, so to speak. I've been researching this kind of stuff That's for a while. I, to talk to you about. I am the church lady looking for hints of Satan, and we'll, we'll, we'll look for those hints next week. So okay. stay tuned. Um, this has been both a episode of Zoom Town and a part of the Zoom Cron push. Um, to, to kind of upgrade and, and kick it up a bit. Um, so thank you for listening, and we will be putting more content out there in the weeks and months to come. And thus concludes ZoomCron Episode 7. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Travis Mateer. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. Um, and stay tuned. I will continue putting out new episodes of Zoom Cron in the weeks and months to come. Thank you so much.